Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 122. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. Today, we have with us a gentleman um, from Chicago, Illinois, who has taken kind of a different path to real estate investing than many of the guests I have on my show. So um, really excited for him to share his knowledge, wisdom, and experience today with you. And with that, welcome to the show, John Kasman. Oh, thank you, Holly. Thank you for having me on. I'm so glad you could be here today. Well, why don't you start out by giving our listeners um, a brief background about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I am based in Chicago, Illinois, as you mentioned. Uh, my background is in marketing. So I've been doing marketing for 15 years, working for large corporations, advertising agencies. And I started off real estate investing with a house hack. So that's where you live in a property. Uh, for me, it was a duplex. For many people, it might be anywhere from a one to four unit property. But I lived in one unit, rented out the other unit. And that was kind of the way we started off. Um, my wife and I you know, bought that property back in 2000. 12, I want to say. And from there, you know, we were able to create a lot of value. We renovated the property and we kind of went on and started buying other properties and building our portfolio. Um, and now we actually, you know, buy larger apartment buildings. We partner with other people, pooling our resources together to drive efficiency and scale. I love it. So your very first project you did was a duplex and you lived in half and rented out half. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That I just have to jump in. I unknowingly did a house hack too, because I, um, when I first graduated college, I was just like mortified at the cost of rents. Like when I was like, starting out, so I'm like, okay, I bought a little cheap three bedroom condo and rented out two of the bedrooms to two other single women. Yeah. And, you know, they they took a big chunk off the mortgage payment, even though the interest rate was like 12% back then. It was wow. a lot. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, if you guys that are listening, if you're single or just, you know, married, even if you have kids, you could still do this house hacking thing. Find a way to get a property that you can rent some of it out, half of it out, part of it out, fourplex with the FHA loan, three and a half percent down is another cool thing if yeah. you are comfortable living in wherever you can afford that. So that's yeah. another good option too. So um, what were you doing for work at the time? Marketing. So working in advertising and uh, developing campaign for big brands and helping them strategize, look at their business and uh, really helping them be more profitable through marketing. So that was a corporate job, I assume? Corporate or? job, yes. Oh, okay, got yes. it. Just yes. wanted to clarify that. So you worked for someone else, got a W-2, got a paycheck, that whole thing. Yep. Okay. Yep. So um, would you say that that deal turned out well then? The deal turned out phenomenal. Um, that was 2012, and we we bought in a great neighborhood. So one of the things we were always trying to recreate was that that deal, right? We bought in a phenomenal neighborhood. To give you some context, there are 77 distinct neighborhoods in Chicago. Okay. This one was the only one that did not lose any value when the economy went down. So for wow. me, that just jumped out, right? It's like one out of 77. I'm like, well, I don't know what it is about this neighborhood, but I know that that's a hell of a stat and we're gonna buy in that neighborhood. So that's where we bought. And what ended up happening is, it was like a little hidden gem where the numbers were dictating that. And shortly shortly thereafter, um, it was no longer a hidden gem and many people discovered it and property values just absolutely took off. So we were actually able to double the value of that property in a few years based on renovations we made, but then also natural appreciation from the market. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I was definitely the beneficiary of appreciation in the last, um, I guess, five, six years too, where a lot of my yeah. rental properties doubled in value and that was the market. That was nothing I did to them. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's great to like, take that ride when, <laughs> when the ride's going, which, you know, maybe that um, appreciation curve could be flattening out now, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's great that you got to take advantage of that. So I would love to hear about like what you did next after that. Yeah. So after that, my wife and I, we knew we wanted to continue to scale, continue to grow. We actually saved up a lot of money for that first deal and didn't end up needing it all because we did get an FHA loan where we only had to put three and a half percent down. And at that time we negotiated credits and things like that. So we had money left over. So we ended up saving more money for our next deal. And then we bought a three unit building in a different neighborhood. So that one cash flowed very nicely day one. There was some good upside where we didn't have to do a whole lot of work, but we were able to cash flow and invest on that property. Awesome. So do you mind sharing how much you made on the first deal? Yeah, the first deal, we actually still own it, uh, but we've refinanced and we pulled out our equity. We got a $100,000 line of credit where we were able to use that to do other deals and kind of continue to grow the portfolio. So nice. that one has, like I said, we bought it for three sixty two five, and it's worth a little less than 700 right now. Um, wow. So yeah, awesome. so we got a lot of equity in that deal. Um, the second one that we bought, we bought that one for 342K. We sold that one last year for 484K. Nice. So a net gain of around 140K as far as uh, the purchase price. Now, did you live in the three unit or was that strictly? No, that was strictly an investment. Okay, got it. All right, so that was deal number two, one yeah. more unit. And then what did you do from there? So then we wanted to scale. So we bought our first commercial property. We bought an eight unit property and uh, brought in professional management because I wanted the experience of managing a property manager and really starting to move into that commercial space and understanding what it took to oversee and manage commercial property. Okay, very interesting. A lot of times people won't bring in professional management for something as small as eight units, right? Mm -hmm. But for you, you wanted to like, cut your teeth and deal with managing yeah. the manager. Yeah. And so how did that go? Did, um, was it easy? Was it hard? It was uh, challenging, right? Because there's another layer there that we had to learn. And I'm glad that we did that on an eight unit building because it made it easier as we scaled into much larger properties because, you know, you think that, oh, I'm hiring professional property management. They're <laughs> going to they're gonna handle everything. It's going to be super easy, right? It's turnkey. It's hands off. And you realize that, you know, you still need to be involved. You still need to actively manage that manager. You need to go through your reports. You need to go through your income statements and understand what's happening, understand the bills, understand everything that's transpiring. And you need to push back and ask questions. You need to give direction. You need to give a plan. So there were times where we would look at the statement and, you know, rents might be short from one of the units. Hey, what's going on here? And uh, they're like, oh, well, this person didn't pay. Well, why not? <laughs> And what are you doing about it? <laughs> so yeah. you realize that, you know, if it were me managing it, obviously there was a process that we had. So we ended up having to uh, be more forceful in overseeing the execution. So you just learn that you can't just give it to someone and be hands off. You still have to be pretty active in the management of it. So I think that was kind of the biggest eye opener. Other than that, than that um, it went well. And we ended up uh, selling that property sooner than we expected just because there was an opportunity to scale into much larger assets. And we felt that at the time, uh, we could have invested more money into this asset to get it where we thought it could be. 
or we could sell this and then take those proceeds and use it for a larger property. So that's what we ended up doing. And not only did you take your proceeds, but you took the lessons learned. It was kind of oh, like of your training, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like, they're like oh, yeah. okay, now let's go bigger, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So how much bigger did you go from eight so, units to what? So we did a couple flip projects, did not like those. We'll talk about those in a moment. Okay. <laughs> but the next large apartment bill we did, deal we did was 192 units. Now with that one, we didn't do that by ourselves. So I have to be clear. You know, we spent a lot of time forging relationships, getting to know people. And a friend of mine, um, he actually found this deal. He was going to take down the deal. And he got into a situation where he needed some help. So we came on board. We helped with marketing. We helped with some market analysis, market research, as well as bringing our investors into this deal because we had been cultivating investor relationships at that time. And we were struggling to find a deal of our own that made sense. So it made sense to partner and get, get in on his deal and be a part of that deal. I think that's brilliant. Um, you, people, you guys who are listening, you're going to find out. There's very little you can do all by yourself in this business with your own yes. time, knowledge, and money. It's definitely worthwhile to find great people that you can partner with in some way to do bigger and better things. And you'll make more money um, partnering and sharing the profits than if you try to keep whatever you're doing to yourself. So uh, anyway, I assume you agree with that, right, John? I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, if you think about it, like part of the challenge when I was trying to do it all by myself was I was looking for deals. I was underwriting all the deals. I had to line up all the capital for the deals. I had to do all the inspections, all the tours for the deals. I had to do everything. So it was really difficult to do it all and do it all very efficiently. Whereas another team or another group, they may have four or five people where one person is lining up all the capital. One person is doing all the underwriting. One person is you know, uh, getting the deal flow, talking to brokers and working off market deals and things like that. So they have a system. And if I'm competing with them and it's just me, I'm going to get squashed. And yes. I, didn't, I didn't realize that immediately because I had had so much success with a smaller portfolio. Um, but when you get into the larger apartments in particular, or if you're looking to scale in general, you need help. You need a team. You need people. And they don't necessarily have to be formal partnerships. They can be brokers and um, property managers and other people, but they need to operate with you as a team. So when you get a deal, you can get it to the right people and they can do what they need to do to it so you can move quickly and efficiently. Um, so I think scaling up, it definitely requires partnerships. And you know, our whole model is we were having success. How do we partner with other people so we can all share in it? But then also you talked about the profits and everything else, but there's also the work. There's a ton of work that goes into this. So if I can split up some of the work so someone else can do it, we can all hold each other accountable. That's a great way to scale and move more quickly more efficiently than trying to do everything by yourself. Well said. Love that. 100% echo that. Okay. So why don't you tell us about the, the flip deals that you said were not so good? And were oh they single goodness. family homes or were they also multi-unit as well? No, these are single family deals, right? So one of the big challenges and things was I recognize that, you know, my experience had been in multifamily and never done a single family flip, but we wanted to do that to just generate some more income. So I actually found a partner, a gentleman who was a contractor. That was his background. And we decided to partner up on a deal. Now, this person had been partnering with other people. So it wasn't like it was my idea. He had a system. He had a team in place and things like that. Everyone I talked to had good things to say about working with them. So we ended up working with them. These are very intense projects. They were full gut rehabs, second story additions to oh. bungalow houses. So oh. these were, oh, yeah, these were, you know, crazy big deals, right? 
Um, and what ended up happening is the, the projects just took a, a hit, not just mine, but everyone's projects was working with him. And it got to a point where the wheels just kind of fell off and we ended up having to take over the project. And oh. I didn't have a construction background. Needless to say, we lost money on that deal and uh, don't like flipping houses. But the biggest challenge for me and the reason we do what we do as opposed to continuing to go down the flipping route, for me, I recognize that flipping is not my, my best skill set. Construction is not my best skill set. Mm -hmm. Business, operations, building teams, all of those things, marketing, that's what I can do well. So I had to realize, you know what, let me put myself in a position where my skills are being leveraged to the fullest of their ability as opposed to going into construction. Because I, I can't, I'm not the guy to look at a ceiling and say, oh yeah, you see that right there? That's a water damage, you got a hole in your roof. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. Um, but there are people who do know. And I think, you know, being humble enough to recognize that, hey, you know, when you partner with someone, you've got to do that, right? So that deal was a, a rough deal. But you want to talk about an education. You certainly learned a lot, not just about construction and the process and permitting and working with the city and all those kind of things, but also in partnerships, right? Identifying what you're looking for in a partner, how to find the right people to work with how to manage contractors. So there were a lot of things there that we certainly took with us that helped us as we move forward. Yeah, well, I think that's great. So did you do a second one also, or was it just that one? We did two at the same time. And oh, okay. that was the challenge was we had two going at the same time. And as one kind of started going south, we kind of had to divert our attention there. And then the other one started going south. So we kind of had to go back. So getting those two done were, were uh, a blessing to get them done, right? Oh, and yeah. move on and kind of stay focused on multi-family, which is what we were really passionate about anyway. So were both deals with the same contractor? Uh, one was with that guy. The other deal, um, that contract wasn't involved, but one of his one of his guys was basically the contractor. So it was, okay. you could say loosely they were. Yeah. And it sounds like you had done your homework. You checked references on the guy. He knew what he was doing. I had a similar situation where I used a contractor that a couple of my very successful flipping peers had used and i mean he basically just quit on us on this one job he's like i i just can't do anymore i have to quit We're like what do you mean you quit you don't get to quit yeah yeah, but yeah i mean you guys tell so you listeners know sometimes you do your homework you check references everything seems right but a lot of times things are beyond your control things happen to the contractors or in their lives or whatever so yeah i, I think too like part of what i took away from that experience was one understanding how they get paid how they make their money um, really making sure you have a tight scope of work, right? Um, because this person had a system going and they were doing multiples, we really relied heavily on their model and how they were doing things, right? Um, but think about a backup plan, right? What happens if this guy can't finish? Can you get another contractor coming at the same prices? Or, you know, is this person going to have to rip out work and redo it? So you got to need to think through those things and make sure if you're bringing someone in on a job, the job is manageable. Right. Because I think part of the issue is that job was such a massive job. I mean, you're talking about full gut rehab. That was a six to eight month project, you know, and they were projecting four to six months just because of the system they had. But, um, you know, it was really it ended up being a nine month project. And when you have a project that lasts that long, your profits shrink and dwindle very, very quickly to the point where you're probably going to go negative, especially if you have hard money. So those are the kind of things that, you know, you certainly want to understand and what are the different levers you can pull, being more assertive and making the changes necessary. So just really learning through those things and recognizing that you can have a good contractor and still have a job, you know, go sideways, but 
you know, being proactive in that situation would have uh, been would have been great. Yeah, you didn't know, you didn't know it was your first one, but yeah. yeah. Those of you listening, don't take on a second story edition project for your first flip, so for sure. Don't, John says no, I say no, make it easier. Yeah. Yeah, make it easy. Time. Make Not it for easy. your first project. That one's down. Yes. Cool. Yes. Well, let's get back to focusing on what you're awesome at. So, yes. <laughs> so on the 192 units, do you still own that today? And, and what we happened? still own that. Yeah, we still own that. We are close to finishing our renovation uh, schedule with that. So we've essentially slowed down a renovation plan, but we do what's called value add apartment investing. And what that means is we're buying an apartment building based off of its current operations. And then we come in with the business plan to increase the value. Uh, commercial properties are valued based on the net operating income and the cap rate. So if you can increase the net operating income, you can increase the value of the property. So we do that by doing interior renovations. We just talked about flipping, right? So improving the kitchens, improving the bathrooms, um, improving the landscaping, all these things that would make someone want to pay more in rent to live there. So that helps us increase the value of the property. We also look for ways to decrease expenses. Maybe we can cut the water bill back. Maybe we can you know, charge the tenants for some of the utilities. So we look for those different things there as well to ultimately drive up the NOI, drive up the value. And then we have the option of either refinancing to pull out some of the equity that we've created or flat out selling the property to cash out completely on the, the money we've made. Awesome. I want to give a couple definitions or have you give definitions on a couple things you threw out there yeah. for people that haven't heard this. So NOI stands for net operating income. So that is all of your expenses minus all, of, I'm sorry, all of your income minus all of your expenses is the net operating income. Is debt included in that or not? Debt is not included in that. And neither are um, income taxes, correct? Uh, income taxes are not. Property taxes are, income taxes are not. Right. Okay. So very important to know. And this is a whole different world than people who are flipping houses yes. because houses are valued on the comparable sales, um, comparables or comps. Apartment buildings are not. It is strictly valued on cap rate. So can you um, explain cap rate a little bit, which stands for yes. capitalization rate? Yep. Cap rates can be a little tricky, but the easiest way to think about cap rates are they really, um, they measure the risk involved for similar assets in that area. So if you're downtown Chicago or, you know, um, you know, somewhere in Orange County, you're going to have a lower cap rate. And what that means is there's lower risk involved. So people are willing to accept less of a return. So it might be a 4% cap rate, 3% cap rate, 5% cap rate they're willing to accept a 3% or 4% return because um, it's in a great area. If you go into more challenging areas, if you are in the middle of a crime zone or something like that, you might be in a 14 or 15% cap rate because the risk is much higher. You are looking for a higher return on investing in that area. So cap rate really measures how much risk is in a location. A lot of people talk about cap rates incorrectly where they talk about hey, I bought a property at a five cap and I made it a 10 cap. That's not really how cap rates work. Cap rates are not so much about the actual property you're buying. It's more so about the location of the neighboring properties and what could somebody expect to pay or what, how much value is somebody placing on a property in that location. Good, good. And the formula for cap rate is? Oh, cap net rate operating is income. Yeah, net operating income divided by value. Yes, value. Or if you're looking to purchase something, it would be the sale price at that time. Mm -hmm. But then if it's not currently, you know, for sale, then you still 
have a value. Exactly. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. So where I live in the little beach town of Dana Point, California, I know Dana Point. I have um, a client. I'm a a realtor that mostly helps people buy um, homes to live in. But this particular lady's an investor, and she traded out of some. I think it's a. I don't know what it is. I was going to say fourplex, but it might be even more units. I think it's more units than four somewhere in Arizona. So she's selling for 1.6 million. So in Dana Point, she is buying a duplex for 1.6 million. (laughs) And her plan is eventually, you know, she's doing a 1031 exchange, but it's basically like a three cap. So it's funny, like you, people do not buy in Dana Point or Orange County, um, which is where Dana Point is, Orange County, California, Mm -hmm. for high cap rates they're buying it for the appreciation which absolutely that's not we're not even talking about appreciation opportunities here but um people will call me sometimes off realtor.com or so and they're like well how do i even make money if if that's what the price is not what the rents are i'm like this is not where you come for cash flow this is an appreciation play market and i understand that because i have rental units also but none of them in orange county you know they're all an hour hour and a half out there and they're a lot further away yeah yeah that's something definitely if you're new to this game i mean you definitely need to educate yourself and understand what all this is but john you're doing a great job explaining of all of this (laughs) awesome great so then what happened with the hundred so the 192 units when you renovated them did you just as people naturally turned over did you renovate the units or do you intentionally kick people out and evict them and then renovate it and rent it higher or what's your whole strategy with that that's a great question so we create a customized plan for every property on the 192 units we had great tents there there was just an opportunity to go in make the renovations and increase rent so with that in place we do it over time there's no rush to do it we certainly want to do as much as we can in the first two years but there's no rush to kick people out or doing do any of that. So as tenants moved out, we either did not renew their lease or we identified units that we wanted to turn and we did our renovations that way. So we did about half of the building in around 18 months. So we did wow. about, I think out of 192 units, we did like 97 or something like that units that That's we renovated. Wow. Yeah, so we, and we decided to slow down because part of what we wanted to do was maximize operations and make sure we stayed in a cash flow, cash rich position to manage and maneuver through any changes in the market. So as we're heading into the summer months, you know, we really want to have high occupancy and driving that up. We don't want to have a bunch of vacancies while we're doing renovations. So we like to do the renovations in the, um, you know, late winter, early or mid fall time period where you're not going to have as much vacancies going on. So that's just the business, the way we approach the business plan. For different properties, based on the tenants, uh, we have a different plan. We have a smaller property, a 28-unit building, where we did the complete opposite. We went in there, we realized that um, the residents who were there were not residents who um, we wanted to retain, primarily because they just weren't taking care of the property properly. Um, They were a bit of a nuisance to uh, their neighbors and the city. So we came in with a more aggressive plan to get many of them out renovate the units and then kind of replace them because ultimately we felt that we could go and renovate the vacant units but the new residents would not like living next to the existing residents and we might not be able to retain them so we just decided to you know move more expeditiously to change over the the tenant base so you can do it either way we've done it both ways it really comes down to what's going to be best for that particular property and for your business plan and making sure all of that works together that is really well thought out when you say the new the new tenants or the people that you're hoping to attract wouldn't want to live next to 
the existing tenants. So yeah, yeah. different different um, people. I, I have that even in my little triplex that I've got people that um, <laughs> have different opinions <laughs> on how the property should be maintained and what you do with your trash and where you park yeah. your cars and all yes. that stuff that yeah. you just take for granted um, until yeah. until you're dealing with it. So. Well, you're building a community, right? Especially on the larger stuff, you're building a community. If you have community enthusiasts, it's going to make your job or retention so much easier, right? Okay. Every time you have a vacancy, that's a unit turn cost. It's not just the money I'm losing from not having someone pay rent. I now need to go in and at a minimum, I probably need to clean the unit thoroughly. I need to, you know, maybe change the carpet. I might need to do whatever to it. So I have to now invest the money. I have to go market it. I have to show it. I have to lease it. So there's all these different steps involved. So you really want to retain your residents as much as possible to maximize that net operating income. Yeah, definitely. So how many projects do you have going now and what's going on in your world today? <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, see we have a uh, 388 units we we bought uh, late last year. We closed on 138 units um, earlier this year. Both of those are with other partners, um, and we're seeking our next deal. You know, we are in the on the hunt right now for our next deal. And in the meantime, we have our event coming up, Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. So really excited about that coming up June 1st and 2nd. But looking to grow our portfolio and continue to educate. Uh, other folks on what we do. It's funny, somebody came up with an acronym, I'm dying to use it. So I can't say it in a cool way where it's natural, I'm just gonna say it. But we're trying to focus on, um, you know, learning, implementing, and teaching, right? So the, the acronym is LIT. So all the kids oh, say, oh, that's, that's LIT, it. right? Oh, this is LIT. But it's about learning, implementing, teaching. And that's what we try to do. It doesn't matter how successful you are, but if you learn something, implement it into your business, then teach other people how to do the same thing. So we think that's a great way to kind of give back as you continue to grow and scale. Well, speaking of teaching, I would like to have you talk about the free download that we have this week, your 21 hacks to find the best submarket. So tell our listeners about what they can get um, this week that you're giving away. Yeah, we've got a free download for all of your listeners. Um, as you look at the secrets of real estate investing, this is one that we've talked to numerous guests on our show um, and what we've done is we've compiled some of the best tips on how they're finding the best places to invest. In particular, you can look at large cities and MSAs, but in every MSA, there's a submarket that is seeing growth. So we wanted to identify how to find the best submarkets to invest and use it as a cheat sheet. So in that free download, there's 21 hacks that people use to find the best submarkets in any market, any city. So check that out. It's a free download. It's compiled of all the great guests. Guests like yourself, Holly, guests like Vinny Chopra, Joe Fairless, a lot of other folks who've come on the podcast, Target Market Insights, and they've shared these tips. We've compiled them and we're giving away as a free download for all of your listeners and all of your watchers. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. So you guys can get that by going to hardhatholly.com forward slash 122 or episode 122. So hardhatholly.com forward slash 122. Or just whip out your phone if you're listening to this on your podcast player and text to the number 38470. That's 38470. You're going to text hard hat with no space between the hard and the hat, hard hat to 38470. And you text me there. Um, and I will send this download back to you and you'll get notified of our podcast once they publish every week. So John, thank you. That is super generous. Thank you for providing that. You threw out one other acronym that people may not know. So I got to say, what is MSA? MSA is your Metropolitan Statistical Area. Uh, and it basically says you obviously have your city that you live in, but 
um, they essentially, from a, a U.S. Census standpoint, they encompass other areas nearby. So there's the city of Chicago, but the Chicago NSA includes Naperville and other submarkets and and suburbs around this area. So that NSA really captures kind of a broader location, a broader range of that major city. Awesome, thank you. Just, I'm thinking from the perspective of a beginner that hasn't heard these terms. No, it's a great so, question, great question. It. You get into it sometimes and you forget like, what's an MSA man? What is, yeah, what is this start, acronym soup you're throwing out there? Yes, you just start speaking in all these acronyms and like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, and then um, tell us how people can find you, learn more about you, learn about, um, so talk about your conference a little bit more, which guys, he's putting yeah. this conference on He's the originator and the founder of this conference. It sounds really awesome. He's told me a little bit about it before and how people would learn about working with you. Yeah, so if you're interested in the conference, it's the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. It's a no-pitch event. This is all about, you know, like I said, education and networking. It is intentional networking. One of the things that I've realized is you go to these conferences specifically to meet other people, right? So for me, I'm always looking to meet with other operators, other people investing in apartments, people interested in apartment investing, and you don't know who those people are, right? You're, you're, you're in a room with 300 people and you have no clue that, you know, the person in the row in front of you has the same interests as you. So what we've done is we've actually made this more of an intentional networking event. We have mastermind breakouts for folks who are interested in specific topics. It's not catered just to multifamily. It's for wholesaling. It's for flipping. It's for property management. It's for note investing. So we have a lot of different speakers, over 30 speakers coming to the wow. event to teach people how to invest. Uh, there is a slant towards the Midwest, but you get great value no matter where you are in the country. Uh, but it's a great event. It's a two-day experience. You can go to MidwestRESummit.com to get tickets. You can use my put my uh, my code Target to get that. Me and my partner, Bree Schmidt, we launched this thing last year. This is our second year doing the event. It's June 1st and 2nd. It's a great event, and I hope some of your listeners come out for it. If you want to just get in touch with me, you can email me at John at CasmanCapital.com. You can also go to our website, casmancapital.com. And then um, you can check out Holly on, on my show as well. Check out her episode at Target Market Insights as well. And how do you spell Casman? Casman is C-A-S as in Sam, M-O-N. Yes. I would say it sounds, it's spelled like it sounds, but some people might think it's different. C-A-S-M-O-N. And where is the location of this conference you're putting on? It's in Chicago, and it's June 1st and 2nd, so it'd be warm, so you don't have to worry about the weather. And I would tell you, as, as nice as Dana Point is, Chicago in the summer is phenomenal. So I will put Chicago in the summer up against Dana Point. Okay. But only in the summer, only in the summer. Though. <laughs> yes, yes. And we both have water, so yeah, that's great. <laughs> right. Well, John, thank you so much. You've been awesome. I appreciate you sharing your journey um, that started out with a duplex and now hundreds of units, I'm assuming, that you are a part owner in. And I'm just super impressed with you. Thank you so much for sharing all that. It's a great path. So with that, um, John, what would be your final words of advice to somebody who's considering looking into the multifamily investing path that you have taken? Um, don't be afraid to be vulnerable and to ask for help. Do not do it by yourself. Find someone to latch on to. Uh, whether that is investing passively at first or getting a mentor, but you want to really educate yourself thoroughly, slowly gain experience, and then you can kind of scale into the other side as a general partner or running your own syndications. But 
find a way to start out and just be a part of a deal and learn more about it and find a way to give value and to help out. And just, you know, if you do that, that's a great way to start out. Very well said. Tony Robbins says, find someone doing something well and model them. So that's what you're yeah. saying too. Go find someone that knows what they're doing. Well, with that, listeners, get out there, take some action and go make it a great day. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.